Hello, my name is John. I'm one of the staff here at Canyon Ridge Church, and it's my opportunity this morning to share with you a little bit from the Bible. The topic of today is Run to Win, and of course that comes out of the New Testament. And so if you do have a Bible with you this morning, you can turn to page 689, and if that isn't the right page number, then go ahead and grab the one underneath the chair in front of you, and uh, that will be the right page number page 689, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll give you a minute to find it. A number of years ago, Joy and I won a free sailing trip. And this was kind of a a deal where you go with two other couples on a small sailing boat, and they take you out for the day and, and cater to you, and it includes lunch. And I'd never been sailing before, and so I was really looking forward to this opportunity. And, and we got to the dock, and, uh, met the other couples we didn't know previously and so we did kind of you know the thing that you normally do you know hi how are you what do you do for a living and and so forth and so I of course I shared what I do for a living and, uh, and then we got on our way and I, I remember walking onto the boat and and looking at the captain who greeted us of course and thinking to myself uh oh is this the captain <laughs> I mean, this this guy did not look like um, you could have a lot of confidence in him as a captain. And my first clue was when he said, hey, would you go ahead and untie the boat? And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. And he said, well, I don't either. This is my first time out. (laughs) And uh, so I sort of dismissed it and thought he was kind of just kidding with me. And so we got underway and it was a beautiful day and we're out heading out into the ocean and uh, before long, we started hitting some, you know, pretty good-sized waves and just crashing against the boat and enough to kind of, you know, jar you a little bit and uh, look over at the captain and think, well, this doesn't look good. I mean, we sh- maybe we should turn around and go back. Is, you know, is this safe? And one of the other passengers mentioned it to him, and he said, oh, no, no, we're cool. Everything's great. Just enjoy yourself. And so then it just started getting worse and worse and worse. And then finally we looked over to the captain. He was gone. And I thought, my first thought was, he jumped, man. He's, this is, I'm done with this group. But apparently he had ran underneath, inside the cabin, underneath the, the top part, and, and uh, was down there just frantically trying to call for help. And so one of the other passengers went down there and said, you won't believe the captain's down there. He's, he's doing the whole uh, mayday, mayday. We're in big trouble. And so the four, three couples kind of gathered around the front. And the one guy, he said, well, you're a reverend. What should we do? And I thought for a minute, I, so I said, well, you know, I'll do what any good reverend would do in a situation like this. Our lives are at stake. So I took up an offering. (laughs) The question you ask in a moment like that usually is, are we going to die? But that's not the right question to ask because we already know the the answer to that question, right? Are we going to die? Yes. We're all going to die. When? We don't know. How? We don't know. But every person will die. The right question is, have I lived a good life? I know I'm going to die, but have I lived a good life? And so the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 
And he says this thing. He says, run to win. And I'd like to read it this morning. It's there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. He says this. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find the common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Do you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. So turn to the person next to you and say with real confidence, run to win. Now, this is a little bit obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's obvious for him to say run to win because nobody runs to lose, right? Nobody wants to be a loser. Everybody wants to run to win. Everybody wants to be a winner. Nobody loves a loser. Everybody loves a winner. And yet some people do lose. Some people do fail. Maybe it's because they don't know the rules and so they're disqualified. Or maybe they know the rules and they just don't care. And they're disqualified. Or what's more tragic to see is somebody who has run well their whole life. And then at the last minute they fail and are disqualified. And that's what Paul was talking about himself there. That he didn't want to be that kind of person to run well his whole life only to at the last minute fail. A YouTube video that went viral was about a, uh, a um, Colombian speed skater. And this was the world championship. And so this guy, had uh, he was at the head of the pack. He was way ahead of everybody else. He looked over his shoulder, saw how far ahead he was, and threw up his arms in victory and just coasted that last, I don't know, about 50 yards. But what happened was the guy from South Korea saw that and just turned it on, and he skated these guts out and and eventually crossed the finish line this much before the guy from Colombia and won the gold the other guy got the silver and it's it was a hilarious video because this guy was just all smiles 
and just soaking it in and waving to the crowd, you know. And you can see behind him this guy coming up on him. And then he crosses the finish guy, and the guy's a big loser. But it's tragic when you see that, when somebody lives an excellent life, an exceptional life, or somebody who's highly gifted. I mean, they are talented and gifted, and then they stumble and fall and fail, and they are disqualified. John Ortberg is famous about talking about how he learned to play Monopoly, and he talks about how his grandmother taught him as a young boy how to play the game Monopoly, and he loved to play Monopoly. And one of the goals to Monopoly is to win by causing everybody else to go bankrupt. Kind of sounds a little bit like our economy today. But isn't this a cruel thing that we put on children? (laughs) Here, kids, let's play a game. And we're going to give you some money, and then after a few minutes, we're going to bankrupt you. In fact, I hate playing Monopoly in my family because it always ends with somebody crying and running to their room. But the goal of Monopoly is very simple. Control the board. Control the board. And if you've never played before, I'm going to give you the secret to the game. Here's the clue. The clue and the the way to win is to acquire everything you can. Buy, 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 buy. Buy all the properties that you land on. Acquire as much as you can because then other people start paying you to land on your properties. Accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Get it all. Bankrupt everybody else and you win. Well, how do you define winning? Charlie Sheen, winning How do you define winning in life? Is it the career that you really, really want? That you're chasing after? That you've got to have that career that will give you the money you've always wanted? Is it that perfect house that you dream about? The perfect location, the perfect size, and all the different features. Maybe it's a relationship that you are just desperate to have. And you're lonely, and so you're, you're... always thinking about this other person, having that relationship. Maybe it's the body that you want, and you spend all of your time in the gym, and you work hard to get that perfect look. Or having friends, or having recognition. But when you play Monopoly, and the game is over, you learn something else as well. You learn that when the game is over, everything goes back in the box. Well, wait a minute. I, I control the board. I've got all the houses and hotels and all the properties. I have everything. And now I have to give it back? Yes. You can't keep any of it. It all goes back in the box. And this is true of life as well. At the end of your life... It all goes back in the box. You get to keep nothing. This is precisely the point that Jesus was making in Luke chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible, page 625. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching with his disciples and 
somebody comes up to him and asks him a question. And he answers their question basically by saying, no, I'm not going to do that for you. And then illustrates a story to illustrate his point. Verse 16. He told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but have, but not have a rich relationship with God. In this little short story that Jesus made up to illustrate a point, he says two things about life. He says what a wasted life looks like and what a great life looks like. Now, he doesn't say that it's bad to be wealthy. That is not his point at all. It's bad to have a house or bad to have things, to store up things. He said it's not bad to have those things if you are also rich in your relationship with God. But if you have all those things and you have nothing invested in your relationship with God, then you are a fool because everything goes back in the box. You take nothing with you. The Bible teaches that there are basically four things in life that remain. Only four. One is the Bible. In fact, it's the only material thing in the universe that will remain. The Bible will survive this world and remain forever with all of us. The Bible is one. Number two, God and the angels. They are eternal beings. They will last forever. And that means good and bad. Last forever. The souls of men and women. That's number three. We know that the soul of man is an eternal soul. It will last forever and ever. And then the last one are the good deeds of men and women. Only those four things. The Bible, God, and the angels, your soul, and the good deeds that you do on this earth. Those are the only four things that will remain. So your career, it doesn't go with you. Your house, don't get to keep it. Your inventions, your plasma TV, whatever. There is nothing that you could own that will remain. It all goes back in the box. So Jesus says, be rich in loving God. Be rich in knowing God and developing a relationship with God. He invites you to know Him and to have a relationship with Him. Talk with Him and develop a friendship. You might say, well, how do you do that? How do you have a relationship with God? Well, how do you have a relationship with a person? How do I have a relationship with my wife? I spend time with her. I pursue her. I share with her my heart and my feelings and my life. And I listen to her. 
and listen to her share her feelings and her life and her experiences. And we walk through life together, exchanging and experiencing life together. You walk on a journey together. You know, think of life like this long trail. You like to hike in the mountains. A long trail. And at the end of the trail is Jesus. And your life is walking along that path to Jesus. Now, he also walks with you. But he is also the goal. He is also the finish line. Loving God. And I think loving God also looks like loving people. When you love people, you are loving God. When you sow good seeds or good deeds to other people, when you love somebody, you give them a gift, you help them in a time of need, you reach out to them. This is the essence of the vision of our church is explore, discover, reach. Say that with me, would you? Explore, discover, reach. You've seen it on the wall out in the cafe. Explore faith, discover community. And reach out to others. This is what we believe that we're to be about as followers of Christ. To give people an opportunity to explore faith. Where else can you explore faith? The internet? Dangerous. (laughs) Who knows what you're going to get there? You get everything and anything. But where can you go and explore faith? You know, there's an incredible opportunity this Wednesday night. This Wednesday night at at, uh, 6.30 p.m. at the pavilion downtown in Puyallup. The pavilion is right in the middle of town by the the, uh, library there, the park. You've been there probably. And at 6.30, there's going to be a whole bunch of folks there for a free dinner, a roast beef dinner, and an 80s cover band. You can't beat that, right? And a, a talk given about faith. And an opportunity to respond to that. And that's this Wednesday night. I hope you will be a part of that in some way. Either inviting somebody or being a part of it yourself. Or inviting your friends and your family. This is a once and a lifetime opportunity. You don't know how many of these will be available. So take that opportunity and be a part of it. Come and serve or or pray. Or just be there to support. Or be there with the people that you invited. And And I know you will not be disappointed. You will see God move. And you will see God touch people and touch their life in an incredible way. Everything goes back in the box. Paul admonishes us in 1 Corinthians 9 to focus on the souls of men. He says, that's my purpose in life is to connect with people, to find common ground. And so when I'm with this group, I, I am a certain way so that I can have common ground and connect with them. When I'm this group, I'm a certain way so I can connect with them. And he says, you as a follower of Christ should follow me in this example. This is how I live. This is how you should live. Give people an opportunity to see Jesus in your life. He says, literally, seek to become rich in the good deeds and souls of men. Being rich towards God. This is precisely why we put so much effort into things like Alpha 
and community groups and reaching out into our community and doing projects at the local schools and all the things that we do and all of the money that we invest, thousands and thousands of dollars to reach the souls of men. Now, most people, a lot of people, they like it and they say, wow, that's, that sounds cool, but I don't know if that's for me. And if you're like the typical person, you've probably got a whole list of reasons why it doesn't apply to you. I, I think of, of uh, Moses, who was probably one of the greatest uh, followers of God ever. And when God came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh, he gave God a list of reasons why he couldn't. You know, I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't talk well with people. I'm not, I'm not, I don't speak publicly. I, I, I stutter. I, I can't talk. I can't go do that. I'm not confident. I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm this guy out in the wilderness. They don't even know me. And if I went back, it would be bad. He just went on and on and all these reasons why he couldn't do what God asked him to do. And I think we do the same thing. In our minds, we have all these things. Oh, I'm not good looking enough, or I'm too fat, or I'm too skinny, or I'm not smart enough, or I don't know what to say, or I don't know the Bible, or, or if I asked my friends, they'd laugh at me, or they'd say, you know, they'll say no, or, you know, you go through all these things in your head. There's a pastor in Washington, D.C. His name is Doug Coe. And there was a guy in his church who came to his church and began to explore faith and eventually crossed that threshold and made Jesus Christ his Lord and Savior. His name was Bob. Honest to God, true story. His name was Bob. And uh, Bob was an insurance salesman. He was a regular guy. All right? He wasn't somebody you'd say was athletic or good-looking or super smart. It was just the regular, vanilla kind of a guy. And so he came across this scripture in the Bible that says that whatever you ask in my name, you shall have it if you ask in faith. So he went to his pastor and he said, is this true? And he said, well, yes, it is true, but it's not a blank check. I mean, you have to use that in, in, uh, in line with the other principles of scripture and context and all that. But, but yes, you ask and whatever you want, and God will give that to you. And so he said, well, then I'm going to start to pray for Africa. And uh, he says, well, have you ever been to Africa? He says, no. Do you know anybody in Africa? No. Well, that's a bit big and vague. Can you narrow that down? And he said, well, I'll pray for Uganda. Well, do you know anybody in Uganda? No, I don't know anybody. I'm just going to pray for Uganda. So he says, all right, I'll make you this deal. You pray for Uganda every single day for six months. And if nothing happens, I'll give you 500 bucks. But if something happens, then you give me 500 bucks. And Bob said, okay, great. They said, now, if you don't pray every single day, deal's off. You have to do it every day. So Bob started to pray every single day for Uganda. Nothing happens for a long time. He finds himself at a business dinner one night. 
and there's a group of people around his table and they start introducing themselves and saying what they do for a living. And then with this one lady said that she runs an orphanage and a medical facility in Uganda. And all of a sudden, he just lights up. I mean, he just comes on just at this lady, just peppering her with question after question after question about Uganda. And she says, have you been to Uganda? He says, no. Do you know anybody in Uganda? No. Well, why are you so passionate about Uganda? Well, I've been praying for Uganda for a long time. And she said, well, why don't you come and visit us and see it for yourself? He said, I'll love to. So he got a plane ticket, he flew to Uganda, and he met with this woman and took a tour of the facility, saw the orphanage and saw the medical facility, and his heart was overcome with how much poverty there was and how great the needs were. And so when he came back to the United States, he decided to write pharmaceutical companies. And so every single day he would pray and he would write a letter. And he'd write letters to these pharmaceutical companies saying, listen, you throw away millions of dollars of drugs every year that are past the expiration and can't be used. And why don't you send those to Uganda and they could use that and that would be a big blessing to them. Well, anyway, these companies started sending him their leftover medications. He collected a million dollars worth, a million dollars worth, put it all together and sent it over to Uganda. Well, of course, they received it and they were so overjoyed and they needed it so bad that they called him back and said, Bob, you're going to, you got to come down and, and, and visit us again. And we're going to have a big celebration. And we're going to pass out all these supplies. And so he says, sure, I'd love to. And so he flew back to Uganda and as a small country, and so the president of the country was invited to that event as well. It just so happens that Bob was sitting at the table with the president of Uganda as they passed out all of these medical supplies. And so the president says to Bob, hey, would you like to have a tour of the capital? He says, yes, I would love to. And so the next day, the president of Uganda takes Bob around, shows him the tour of the capital. And in part of the tour, he saw this group of prisoners and they didn't look like they were from Uganda. And so he said, what are these people? And the president said, well, these are political prisoners. And so Bob says to the president, he says, you know, that isn't right. You should let those people go. And he didn't think anything of it. And they finished the tour. Bob flies back home, and he's been home for one week. He gets a phone call. The other person on the other line says, Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm with the State Department. Is this Bob? He says, Yes. Have you been recently to Uganda? Yes. Did you tour the capital? Yes. What on earth did you say to the president? Well, I just told him that these political prisoners should be let go. He said, well, he let all of them go. And we have been working with the, the government there for years to have these political prisoners released. We really would like to know what your secret is and what did you say? Well, I just said, you should let these people go. <laughs> a couple weeks later, he gets a call from the president of Uganda and he says, Bob... I'm going to select a new cabinet for my ministry, for the whole country. And I would like you to come to Uganda and pray for me and pray over the new cabinet as we start our new government. And Bob says, sure, I'd love to. And so he flies to Uganda to pray over the cabinet. 
and all of his members. So here's one guy, one average, ordinary guy, who says, I'll pray for Uganda. So here's the deal I'm going to make with you. All right? So if you will pray every single day for six months about what you believe God has put on your heart, on the thing that he wants you to do, what he's called you to do, you pray about it for six months every single day. And if nothing happens, Doug and Pat White will give you $500. (laughs) But if something does happen, you give me $500. (laughs) Okay, no, forget it. That's not the deal. But it's never been about what you or I are capable of. It's never been about that. It's always been about what God is up to, what God is doing, what God is capable of, what God has, what God can achieve. This event that's coming up on Wednesday night, this isn't the might and muscle of three small churches in Puyallup. This is the Holy Spirit. This is what He is doing in our community. This is His idea. This is His plan. He's just, we're just servants. We're just following in His orders. Runners always keep their eyes forward. In fact, that's usually how it is, and that's probably the best way. Because the minute you look back, you begin to stumble and fall. Or worse, you end up way off course. So he says, forget what is behind and look ahead. Look forward. All grace is future. Everything that God is doing is ahead of you. All the blessings and miracles are in front of you. They're not behind you. Press on. Move forward. Follow God on that path, on the journey that you're on. And you will see God do miraculous things. Run to win, Paul says. Invest in the lives of other people. Invest in God. Sow good seeds. Do good deeds. Give sacrificially. And if you will... It will not be a wasted life.